Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today, Holy Mother Church around the world celebrates Palm Sunday, which is the very beginning of Holy Week. Now, we read from the Passion. In this case, it's Matthew's version. Now, when we read the Passion, the danger of it is the principle of familiarity. And that is, we've read and heard this story so many times, we tend to overlook how rich it is in symbolism and meaning. Well, what I want to do is I want to take or highlight just a few examples of just how rich and meaningful this story is to help us grow, especially now as we begin the holiest of all weeks of our liturgical year. Now, the story starts with Jesus and the apostles, as well as all the other Jews, coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Now, you have to realize the Passover is the premier ritual and celebration for the entire year of the Jewish people. Remember, the Passover recalls how God rescued the Israelites from slavery of Egypt and then delivered them to the Promised Land. The Passover, for us, it would be like if you grouped Christmas, Easter, and maybe the 4th of July all together. That's how powerful the Passover is for Jews. Now, the Jews are all descending upon Jerusalem, primarily to worship in the temple. Now, to give you an indication of just the magnitude of what's happening here, the population in Jerusalem in the ancient world during Jesus' time was around 30,000. And yet, during the week of Passover, Jerusalem would swell to about 150,000 people. So that tells us this is a very powerful celebration for the Jewish people. So Jesus, he celebrates the Passover, but he celebrates what we refer to as the Last Supper. Essentially, Jesus institutes the very Mass that we celebrate today. Now, the early church fathers said that Jesus' Last Supper could be considered the Christian Passover. Now understand, the Jewish Passover is all about a sacred meal. It has to be prepared in a specific way with specific food. But at the same time, it recalls the great story in which Moses, through the power of God, leads the Israelite nation out of slavery from the Egyptians to the promised land. So it essentially celebrates God's deliverance of the Israelite people to the promised land. Now, if you look at our Mass, the Mass continues that same tradition, but in a Christian way. Jesus, when he celebrated the Last Supper, or our first Mass, it was centered around a sacred meal, his body, his blood. It had to be prepared in a special way. But we celebrate the Mass in the sacred meal, but we also remember the great story of Jesus Christ, 
how Jesus Christ leads us out of our slavery, in this case, the slavery of sin and death, leads us to the promised land, in our case, heaven, eternal life. And so the early church fathers were right that our Mass is essentially the Christian Passover. Now notice next in the story, after they celebrate our Mass, Jesus leads the apostles into the garden. I think that's odd, don't you? You know, of all the places they could have gone in Jerusalem, they go into the Garden of Gethsemane. Why is that? Well, turn to Augustine. Augustine says, What began in the garden now ends in the garden. Well, what began in the garden? Sin, evil, temptation. Adam and Eve, you know, once they were tempted and they succumbed to the devil, you see sin being ushered into this world. And now you see that great momentum of sin throughout all of the Old Testament. Where does it end? In the garden. In this case with Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, it ends. Jesus now conquers evil through his passion and death. And so what begins in the garden now ends in the garden. And so it was very intentional for Jesus to go to that garden. You could say to complete what was left off at the story of creation. And so they come to arrest Jesus, and the apostles cut and run. They don't stand by him. How often does that happen for us? You know, we know what is right, the right thing to do, and yet we don't have the courage, or we cannot summon the courage to do the right thing. Cardinal John Henry Newman once said, One thing that is required for evil to thrive is for a good person to do nothing. That's pretty powerful. I'll say that again. One thing that is required for evil to thrive and grow is for a good person to do nothing. We all have to battle evil. Sometimes it's harder for us or for others. Well, we have to support each other. Evil must be resisted. So therefore, we have to support one another. We have to encourage each other when we get frustrated or when we feel all alone. And see, Jesus knows this. That's why if you go back to the story, the first evangelization of the apostles, Jesus sends the apostles out two by two. Why does he do that? So when they're frustrated, they can encourage each other. When they're down, they can motivate each other. If Jesus would have sent the apostles out one by one, after a while, they would have become frustrated. They would have succumbed to evil. They would have given up. But with two people, they can support each other. Well, we have to do the same thing. That's what being part of a parish family is all about. And so if we know somebody is struggling with an issue, regardless of what it is, what we have to do is go up to that person and say, hey, I got your back. I got your back on this issue. In fact, the entire parish has your back and is supporting you. Well, I would argue that person won't back down. That person will continue to persevere because they know, you know, the parish has my back on this issue. And so we must always encourage and support one another. Now notice, too, Peter's betrayal of Jesus. You see, Judas betraying Jesus, but also Peter betrays Jesus. In fact, he does it three times. Now what's the difference between these two betrayals? Well, I think it's very obvious Peter seeks forgiveness. You know, there's that beautiful story on the seashore after Jesus' resurrection. Jesus prepares the breakfast for 
Peter and the apostles. And then he takes Peter aside. And there's that beautiful exchange between Jesus and Peter. Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Peter responds, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my sheep. He does that three times. Three times to forgive, Peter denying Jesus three times. But what does Judas do? Judas doesn't believe he's worthy of God's forgiveness. Therefore, he goes out and he hangs himself. That's really the big difference. For us, we have to recognize how overwhelming God's mercy and forgiveness is for each and every one of us. Now, go to the last part. Jesus is dying on the cross. And right before he dies, he says what? Ali, Ali, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, what we have to do, completely avoid the mistake of thinking that Jesus really believes that God the Father has abandoned him. Well, that's impossible. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always been together. They've never separated each other. They've never forsaken one another. Instead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always been together, even before the beginning of time, and they always will. So what is Jesus really saying here? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, essentially, he's praying Psalm 22. If you go and look at Psalm 22, the very first verse is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the prayer of the righteous sufferer. The righteous sufferer, although innocent, is mocked by the ungodly and suffers for many, many people and then petitions God for deliverance, that God will deliver them from their suffering. Well, that's exactly what Jesus is doing. Right before he dies, he's praying Psalm 22. Jesus is completely innocent of any crime, yet he suffers for the world so that the world may be redeemed back to God the Father. And then he prays that the Father will deliver him from his suffering, and he will, through his death and resurrection. See, Jesus is living out that prayer. Now, what's so amazing about Psalm 22? First of all, it was written a thousand years before Jesus was ever born into this world. It was written by King David. More to it, if you read Psalm 22, it's basically a synopsis of Jesus' passion and death. It talks about how the righteous or innocent person, he suffers for many people, which is exactly what Jesus does. More to it, it talks about how the righteous sufferer is mocked by the ungodly, and Jesus was, especially by the religious establishment. More to it, it talks about how people cast dice for the clothing of the righteous sufferer. And so it's so amazing. A thousand years ago, King David saw in a prophetic way the passion and death of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus now prays that prayer. He truly is the righteous sufferer. Friends, strongly encourage you, take some time this week, reread the Passion according to Matthew. But more importantly, engage Holy Week. All of the days are really beautiful and are separate and distinct of themselves. Holy Thursday, we recall the great celebration of the Last Supper in which Jesus institutes our Mass that we know today. It's also the celebration of the birthday of priesthood. Priesthood was created on that day of the Last Supper 
because of Jesus' command. He told the apostles, Whenever you do this, do this in my name. And so they were ordained priests that night. More to it, we also recognize that we are servants in the foot washing that Jesus did that night. Good Friday is separate and distinct from the others in which we remember the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's a very solemn service and occasion. Finally, the Easter Vigil and Easter Sunday, the great celebration of our entire liturgical year. We recognize Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Now all of our hopes and all of the promises come true that one day we will follow in that resurrection ourselves. Friends, strongly encourage you, engage Holy Week. Be drawn into the mystery of Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection. And may the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.